Chris Black from ESPN 1000. Thanks so much for just kind of taking some time to just kind of chat with me. How are you doing today? I'm good. All good. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's interesting. A lot of people have kind of looked at what's going on in the sports world and they're like, well, there's no sports. What do we talk about? But to be honest, Will, like to this point, I have yet to be bored with anything regarding sports because there's actually a heck of a lot of stuff to talk about. So things are good. There's a lot to talk about. Let's get into it. Yeah, that you kind of I was thinking that just before we started, I was like, you know, I was curious as you're, you're a sports fan, you work in the business, but there's, you know, as you know, I listen every day. So I know you have a good idea of what your thoughts are and a lot of things. I feel the same way. I haven't been bored. I'm so busy with work as it is. And then in free time, it's, you know, doing stuff like this. But to kind of get started, I was I wanted to start out with the last dance. Obviously, it's the it's all the rage. It's awesome. I wanted to get your thoughts kind of on the show, but also what do you, while watching that show, what are your thoughts as far as what do you like about today's NBA versus the old era of like the 80s and 90s? And maybe what do you like about the older, the older era versus today? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because the documentary is doing a couple of things, right? Um, one, I think most notably for people who didn't watch Michael Jordan play in the NBA, the doc is kind of giving a crash course to those individuals who maybe only consume Jordan through highlights or maybe only know of him as the greatest of all time. And they may not understand how he became the greatest of all time. And I think that that's an important thing to get to, because if you watch Michael Jordan play basketball and you actually consume games where he played and it's just outside the highlights I don't know if there's anyone who sits down and watches him play basketball and suggests that there's someone who's done that better than him. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I feel as if um, over the course of time, people forget. And then obviously there are those who didn't experience it in the moment. And it's okay if you're one of those people. And it's also okay if you're someone who is 50 plus and you saw every game live. Um, we can all have an opinion on it. But I think what has taken place in this first take, hot take era, you know, is is that people want to uh, only um, look at what is taking place right now with no context. Um, so I think initially my first thought is that it's pretty cool that everyone's starting to experience what Jordan was like. Now, listen, in a 10 part documentary series, I don't think you're going to prove that Jordan's better than LeBron because of what you see in the documentary. I think the one thing that's pretty obvious through four episodes is if someone that didn't know what Jordan was about and they only saw him through the highlights, I would guess uh, the impression they have of Jordan now is that they fully understand that the only thing this guy cared about in life was winning. And he wanted to win more than any other player who has ever played the game. And I think that is where you then look at LeBron and you can look at all the accomplishments and you can say, yeah, well, 17 years and all the assists and look at all these stats. LeBron is compiling stats, but at no point has LeBron ever had the mentality that Michael Jordan has had. And, and you know, we, we kind of did a retrospective of, of this when Kobe Bryant died. Because Kobe was basically doing a Michael Jordan impersonation throughout his career. So, like, like that's a thing. And, I, and Will, you're younger than I am. So, I like, is that something that you've picked up on throughout this documentary? Oh, yeah. Is that, like, it, it's not necessarily who's the greatest of all time, let's count the rings. It's 
Nobody wanted to win more than Michael Jordan. And I, I feel like that's something that's been hit home pretty, pretty well in these first four episodes. For sure. Yeah. I, uh, so I'm, I'm 31. I'll be 32 later in the year. And so when I first got into sports, it was like mid nineties. So it was right yeah. in the middle of that, that Bulls dynasty, mid to late nineties. Uh, and so it's like, I was watching Jordan, but I, I couldn't appreciate it the way I would now for sure. And, and watching that, just watching uh, the last episode when they were going into the, the Pistons series, I knew how physical the NBA could be back then, but just seeing that up close on early, or at least in that two hour during the, the uh, documentary, it was like insane just to see the physicality of how it was back then. And, you know, he went through, I think, I forget who it was that I mentioned during the documentary that Jordan was able to go through that and come out victorious. You know, the Pistons were in their heyday, too. So, I mean, it was it was just crazy to watch that type of, you know, the series, the physicality that was involved back then. And, Will, like, the, the thing that is also um, important about what what you've kind of seen is that in the second three-peat, Jordan wasn't in his prime. Like, he was on the downward slope, especially when they got to 98. He was still the best player in the world, but Michael Jordan in 91, 92, 93 is a different player than in 96, 97, 98. And I feel like a lot of the greatest of all time conversations take place with hot takers, and they're only referencing Jordan doing the turn away, fade away jump shots. You know what I'm saying? Like, the different Jordan. But, like, if you go back and watch the 91 finals, li- listen, that Michael Jordan in the 91 finals, not only did he average 30 points per game, 30-plus points per game, and he had the rebounds, he had 11 assists per game in that final series, going up against the greatest point guard of all time, Magic Johnson. So, like, so you take that into account, and then that Jordan, if you take 91 Jordan and place him in today's NBA, he's unstoppable. So, like, it, I feel like people just have a mixed perception on what actually took place where they say, hey, uh, I saw Jordan in 98. Yeah, he was a little slower. Yeah, he shot fadeaway Jays. Uh, can he really? But look at LeBron. Look how powerful. I mean, come on. If you go back to 88, 89, 90, 91, that Michael Jordan in his prime, that's the best player who's ever existed. And, and the fact that he could transform into a player who maybe lost some of the skills, the raw athleticism, but then he also never lost. Like he continued to still win and find ways to win. And that's just a different part of the story to be appreciated. But I think a lot of young people, you know, um, under the age of like 25, they don't get that like Jordan in 91, Jordan in 88, that guy was completely unstoppable. And, you know, you originally asked me how I think that game back then compares to the game today and like that Jordan would translate, right? Like that Jordan in today's NBA in 2020 would still be the best player in the league. Like there's no doubt about it. And like for all the people who want to talk about how the game was better back then, I mean, those individuals, they're just not paying attention. Uh, If you watch those games, right? Well, like if you watch Pistons Bulls from, from 90 or 91, like, all of the players are standing in the paint on an offensive possession. There's like one guy standing outside the paint. It's not hard to play defense if everyone's standing within five feet of each other. You know what's hard to play defense on? When you have all the players on offense spread about the entire front court, and then you have to move from side to side and sprint 
multiple times from side to side within a 24 second possession. Like that's, that's the thing where today's game gets crapped on, but people don't seem to realize that when you don't have to move on a basketball court, the game is much easier. The reason the game is so much more elevated as far as the skill set today is because of the movement and the athletes and the fact that it is no longer just go plot in the paint and then wait for MJ to do something. It's everyone on the court moving at the same time. And it's just, it's a different thing. It's almost like they're playing different sports realistically, you know, because it, it's just a totally different thing. So like for the guys who want to compare the, the generations, you have to, you have to acknowledge that the skill set to play in today's NBA is elevated, but you don't have to discredit back in the day because they just didn't know. You know, you have all the players standing within the vicinity of the paint. It's just a completely different basketball game. Right. And I, I thought it was spot on when you mentioned the, the Kobe kind of comparison, because I always thought, you know, since Jordan and when Kobe was playing in, in his prime and everything, I, I, I felt that he was almost like, the, at least as far as I could see, I felt like he was the closest sort of thing since Jordan, at least especially from that competitive standpoint that I'm going to take over this game and do what he did, basically. I was also curious, so kind of going into today's Bulls, obviously they've already hired, I'm going to try to say his name, Arturis Karnasovas as the yeah. executive VP. Yeah, I, got, I, I had to practice a few times. Yeah, and uh, Mark <laughs> Hey, man, and we, we, all, we all did, so it's all... It's- I know, like I know. I remember you guys were just saying AK, and I was like, yeah. If I had to say his name, I'd probably do the same. But I was like, I think I'm probably, I could. I, I've been doing a lot of hockey names in general, so I, I kind of get used to trying to pronounce these names. But uh, and obviously they hired Mark Eversley as GM this past week. So I'm curious. They they've made their front office change, but what do you think they need to do now going into next season, whatever that might be, 2020, 2021? Yeah. Uh, yeah. What obviously it'd be easy to say try to get Anthony Davis the next big free agent, but realistically, and I guess realistically, but also what you would like to see them do. Uh, what do you think? I guess their next move should be. You know the way that I would guess it's going to play out is that heading into next season, you know, whatever takes place with this season that's currently um, on hold, you know, that that could push back free agency, the draft, and everything for the following 2021 season as well. So, like, this is not going to be a normal offseason. And I think the way you play it with that, with a new front office group and a strange offseason – is that you kind of stand still, right? Like, I wouldn't expect Eversley and Karnasovas to come in and immediately start wheeling and dealing and completely disrupt what they have. I, I think the biggest asset this team has going forward would be looking at the free agent season of 2021 to 2022. You know, and I, I would suggest that the goal would be to get yourself in position for a reset of the roster for that offseason. Um, you have Zach Levine on the books that year. You have Thaddeus Young. You have uh, Tomas Saransky. And then you have a bunch of guys who have the team options like Kobe White, like Wendell Carter, and a few others, Hutchinson, Archie Dinocano, those players. And like what I would, okay, we can remove Otto Porter off the books, the $28 million. We can also remove Felicio's money off the books. Finally, one of the worst contracts we've ever seen in Chicago sports history. And, and that's where you see 
2021, 2022, hopefully if you can figure out a way to kind of have that be the reset, but before you get to that point, just make this team a viable option as far as hard work, uh, playing close games, and, and at least trying to win basketball games. I, I think that would go a long way to then getting to that free agent moment and then going and, and shopping for someone like an Anthony Davis. Because even though he's not going to, he's going to be a free agent probably in this offseason, whenever that takes place, um, setting yourself up to be a desirable destination, I think, is just as important as going out and actually spending the dollars. So, like, if the Bulls in the next year and a half can get to a spot where they are competing for the eighth spot in the Eastern Conference, uh, whoever that new coach is that they hire is someone that has respect around the league and the players are clearly playing for him. Then you add in, Will, the amount of money that you'll have just by leaving the roster alone as is and, and the, the money coming off the books that immediately turns into a more desirable situation than what we currently have. And I, I think that's, that's a good starting point to where they're at. You know, if you look at the track record of Karnasovas in Denver, the way the Nuggets were built were not by signing top-level free agents. The way they were built was through the draft and hitting on draft picks and taking time. So, you know, it's going to take some time for this Bulls team to get back to really high level contention. So I think what the, the short term expectations are you next season have to make the playoffs. You got to be the seventh or eighth seed in the playoffs. And then from that point on with the money coming off the books, then you can kind of re refresh and reshape the organization. And hopefully these guys that you start drafting become starters. And, 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 and then you can then say, okay, we have a team that's younger with guys who we've drafted who are working hard for the coach that they like. And, and yeah, the wins aren't necessarily there as far as top four seed in the East, but we're, we're pushing towards that. Now you can go sell that to free agents. And I, th I think that's a big part of what the next like year and a half is going to be. You know, and, and if you look at Mark Eversley's track record with Philadelphia, you can make the argument he is drafted really well and he's signed free agents, and he's made moves. He's been a part of a front office group that has put together stars on a team to compete. But then you could also look at it and say, for all the positive I just listed off, that group fizzled out last year in the playoffs. And Jimmy Butler left, and they're stuck with Tobias Harris's contract. And they basically have two stars who are max-level players who don't really fit together. So, you know, does that help the Bulls down the road if Joel Embiid becomes uh, disgruntled in Philly that he has a connection with Emersley, Eversley and he'd want to play in Chicago? Or same with Ben Simmons, who a player that Eversley drafted? You know what I'm saying? Like, so there's a lot of moving parts here. But I think initially for the Bulls, the idea would be kind of uh, let's take inventory of what we have. And over the course like of the next year and a half. Let's get the head coach right. Let's make sure this team's playing hard basketball. Let's make sure the culture is set. Because I think that's all stuff that we really haven't seen from the Bulls in the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah, the culture change is definitely a great first step for them. And from the next head coach standpoint, do you have a specific name in mind that you would like to see take over? Yeah, I would I would go after Adrian, Adrian Griffin pretty hard. I know he's on the staff with uh, Nick Nurse with the Raptors, and he has been for a little bit of time. He was here in Chicago with Tom Thibodeau, 
And uh, when he was here with the Bulls, I always heard that uh, behind the scenes that he was somebody that was on the staff that at some point he'll have his own team. And he's basically done all the right things. And he's been on teams that have won at a very high level in the league as a part of the coaching staff. Um, he's a former player, so he can get uh, players of today's NBA to buy in because it's not too long ago that he was actually on the court himself. And I, I think he's a smart dude, and I would go after Adrian Griffin. He knows the situation here in Chicago. He knows the ownership group. I, I think that would be a home run hire if the Bulls could get that done. Now, obviously, we kind of have to see how this season plays out because the Raptors are one of the best teams in the East, you know. So, like, you can't go poach him at this moment. But, you know, if the season was canceled today, uh, I would hope that that's the place the Bulls are looking. Um, you know, I, I think that would be a really wise decision. I would rather see that than maybe a retread. Like, I wouldn't jump right back into, yeah. like, hoping that like a Jeff Van Gundy or any of the Mark Jacksons or any of that nonsense would be relevant. I would, I would suggest to go after Griff and, and um, I think it's time that he, he gets a team. I know cap was pushing for Thibodeau. Uh, would you, you just mentioned that you wouldn't want to go after like the retreads. I'm, I'm assuming you wouldn't want him as a, like a backup. Option. Well, you know, here's the thing with Tom Thibodeau. I really like him. And, uh, Cap is much closer uh, to him than I am, obviously, but he has been very nice to me uh, and he is very good. And I think that at some point someone's going to give him a job and he's going to be successful in the league. The, the thing that I would um, caution with that hire is that I feel as if this is an opportunity for the Bulls to get out of their own way. And I've been critical of the Reinsdorfs in the past about this, is that there seems to be a very mom and pop um, mindset when it comes to running the organization. And other NBA teams have billionaire owners from Valley moving in and they're opening Amazon stores on your block, right? They're, you know, they're moving in and they're opening their, their stores and your small mom and pop and you continue to only hire from within. I would just say, let Karnasovas and Eversley hire who they want to hire. And if it is Tom Thibodeau, then that's great. But I don't need to bring back somebody who previously had success here because to me that resembles more of the old way of thinking of the Chicago Bulls where oh, yeah, we need to bring someone in. Let's only talk to people who have been here in the past. Like, that's always kind of been their, their MO, is, like, they don't actually go out and, and interview high-level candidates from across the entire league. They only interview the, the high-level candidates who once worked for them. You know what I'm saying? And, like, no other business would really do that. You know, no other – if you had a successful business and you wanted to hire the best person available – you would open it up to anybody. You wouldn't just say, okay, we got to hire the best person available. Give me the short list of the people who previously worked here or has a connection to the organization. And I, and I just feel like we finally, as Bulls fans, get an opportunity to see like a fresh start. And I would, you know, I like Tom Thibodeau and I want him to get a job. I think the rumors of him uh, possibly ending up with the Knicks at some point, I think are, are very strong rumors. So 
you know, I, he'll get a job and he's, he's an awesome dude and uh, he'll be fine. I, I, I would just like to see the Bulls go in a fresh direction. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, it does. That does make a lot of sense. Do you see whether it's the NBA? Uh, it sounds like Major League Baseball will play at some point this season, it sounds, but do you think the NBA or the NHL would be able to return or do you kind of think it's doubtful? You know, hockey is tough because I don't know if they have a setup where it's something that they've kind of done before. And what I mean by that is all along, since it started in early March, I always thought the two sports that had the best opportunity to start before anyone else would be baseball and basketball. And the reasoning is both baseball and basketball in their off seasons have setups where multiple teams could use facilities to play games. What I mean by that is obviously spring training in in baseball. We've heard the rumors floated about all the different uh, satellite sites for baseball and getting them back together and, and trying to figure out a way to get some games played this season. So I always thought that that was a pretty good idea. Um, and then for the NBA summer league, and it takes place in Vegas on two different courts and they accomplished that. Like that's the infrastructure to get that done every summer is already set in place. So now, to finish the regular season and to have a full playoffs, you would have to implement more available courts and more infrastructure. But I always thought that the NBA kind of had a head start because it's kind of already something they do. Um, so, you know, I, I would suggest, I think um, the answer to all of this, right, is testing. And the numbers show that the more testing that is done and the less that we all stay away from each other, the, the, the curve is, is actually being flattened. The problem is when you put people together and there isn't testing and there's people who have it who don't know that they have it infecting lots of other people and then those people infecting lots of other people. Like that's the whole problem to all of this. So like theoretically, if you quarantine or separate, you know, a hundred individuals and you were able to test all hundred individuals, then those hundred individuals, if they were, uh, separated from the rest of society could then partake in something like this as long as they didn't interact with new people. So I, I think there is a solution here and, and I think they could probably figure it out, but you know, it, it all comes with, as long as there's enough testing, I think things could get back to some form of reality where we could actually have some NBA games, some baseball games, um, we could set up and, and know that football could take place in the fall. And the NHL, you know, falls in line with that. You know, if baseball can figure it out, why can't the NHL figure it out? I know rink space is going to be an issue. And I know they're looking at some sites in like the West, like what, like Montana or the Dakotas, where yeah. there's some places that had multiple rinks. But right, like it, it all comes down to like, if you follow the science and you follow Dr. Fauci and what he says, that basically... As long as there's testing and then removal of those who test positive from the rest of the group and then you continue to test, uh, it, it is something that we, we can kind of figure out. So I, I have hope because it seems like each day that passes, Will, there's a new piece of information that adds to the puzzle to, to trying to figure this out. And I'm excited to see whatever it is because I, I think we're all uh, – patiently waiting for for some uh, sports to get started 
Yeah, I'm very curious to see how it plays out too. And yeah, as far as the NHL, I, I I could see how they're trying to get something in, and it just logistically, as far as ice in July and the, the rink space that you mentioned, and uh, they'll have to figure it. Definitely, they're they're looking at all opportunities as all the other sports are as well. But I I'm kind of hesitant to think the NHL would be able to come back. But I it sounds like baseball is getting more optimistic about it. And so it'll be interesting to see how it kind of plays out. So I was kind of curious too on your thoughts. I know with the Bears, I know your thoughts on Trubisky, obviously, but my question was kind of more the way when it comes to the Trubisky Foles thing, I kind of view Foles as if he's healthy, he can, I think he can at least be suitable for the team. If he, I guess basically my question for you is, do you think a, a healthy Nick Foles can be the perfect complement for this exact situation, meaning that he can do just enough to support the defense uh, as long as, obviously, the O-line is good enough to help him and he has receivers and all of that. Do you think that he can be, a, uh, I guess, a perfect complement if everything kind of just goes right? Almost kind of just do enough just to get us points and the defense can kind of do its thing, or is it still kind of like, uh, he's not really proven it as a starter outside of a stint in Philly for half a year? Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things where if you look at the numbers since like 2015, his, his numbers are not eye-poppingly better than Trubisky. So like to your point, yeah, if, if the offense can put up like 22 points a game opposed to the 17 that they were putting up, I think the Bears are immediately a better football team, right? Like the one thing that we've kind of looked at with this team for the last couple of seasons is that if the offense can just be average, then finally you, you'd you be in more games. The defense is so good that it kind of allows you to play those type football games and then have a shot to win at the end. Now, uh, with Nick Foles will be fine. I, I just think that it, it's it's tough to assume because, you know, so few quarterbacks really make too much of a difference and, and, even though Foles is an upgrade from Trubisky, how much of an upgrade is he? Like, is he better than the 20th quarterback in the NFL? Is he 16? I don't think so. Uh, I would argue that he's probably like right around that 22 to 25 range. So if Trubisky was 30 or 31 or 32 and Foles is 25, like how much of a difference is that really making? You know, and and the other thing, uh, a major storyline that, I feel like on my shows, we, we did a pretty good job of pointing out throughout the fall was that the Bears defense last year, any slight step back was going to have a ripple effect on the rest of the team, right? If we go two years ago uh, to the 12-4 12, 12 team, the reason that team was so successful was because the defense was so good, so good but so good yeah. from the start of the game. And a part of why they were so good was because the offense always scored early. So, like, the moment you throw the balance of, like, the game script out of whack, like, this team kind of falls apart because they don't, they're not strong enough to withstand someone going up two touchdowns on them. You know what I'm saying? I, I feel like, you know, the defense, we all assume that's going to be better. Well, I think that's flawed because we're missing a safety and a starting cornerback. Now, we use the 50th pick on Jalen Johnson. I love him as a pick. But is Jalen Johnson going to give you better production than Prince of Mukamura, who, who is a solid starter in the league? I would imagine that Johnson's going to be good, but he might be a little rough, you know, as a rookie out there starting. 
who knows? I, I could be wrong, but I don't, I don't know if it's, it's easy to just guarantee that. Then you also have to guarantee health. You know, Khalil Mack, if he gets injured, there goes your defense, basically. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, Robert Quinn gives you something. And same with uh, Akeem Hicks. Hopefully, he can stay healthy because we saw last year. The moment he got hurt, things went backwards. And then so, you know, the long-winded story is that the defense we continue to assume each year is just automatically better. Well, you didn't really, outside of Robert Quinn, you didn't really support that you drafted a corner, still missing a safety. Do you have a, a, a replacement for Leonard Floyd? I know that people trash him. Well, you know, he still produced some for you last year. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think it's, it's one of those things. It's a delicate balance. If, if the offense and Nick Folds can score you, you know, the 22, 23 points, I think they could absolutely win 10-plus games. They could be a playoff team. And, and you're right. I think everything can kind of fit in place. Um, the problem, I think, what would happen is if somehow the Bears take a slight step back again defensively, and now you're playing games in, like, the high 30s, and you're hoping that Nick Foles is winning shootouts. And that I think that's where I think the Bears could have major, major issues. I saw they signed Ted Ginn today. What did mm-hmm. you think about that? Yeah, I mean, for a one-year deal, he's a fast dude. He's, what, 35 years old. He's never really caught more than, like, 55-plus balls in a season. I think last year he caught 30. He, he's certainly more explosive than any of the offensive players the Bears have on the field right now. So that should help. But... He's got to be able to catch the ball, and you have to have a quarterback that can get it to him. So, you know, an added uh, element to the offense. But, again, who's your number two wide receiver? Is Anthony Miller going to be your slot guy? Can he stay healthy? Um, I'm concerned about that number two spot. I don't know if Javon Wims or um, Ridley are going to be able to just step in there and produce for you. And, you know, we've also seen that, like, Tariq Cohen basically adds – very little to the offense. So is he going to be a more impactful receiver? Um, so I, I think uh, having Gin Jr. a part of the mix is going to be nice, but I think they need some uh, some more help on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, and just overall, uh, with going back to the whole coronavirus thing, I'm curious to see if the NFL and college football will be able to play out like normal and if they're going to have to have empty stadiums. And that's still a few months away, obviously, but... Who knows what's going to be happening in September or October? Yeah, you know, and it's it's weird, right? Again, with the testing, yeah. and it's, again, with the science on it. You know, um, some states are trying to reopen things, and um, the suggestion is that because the the number of cases is low, that places should reopen. But I would argue that are the reason the cases are low is because you're not really testing as much as you should be, right? Like, because it seems as if the places that are testing the most are then resulting in having the most cases, which would tell me that really reporting the cases means nothing. What you need to report is how many tests are being completed. Yeah. And, and so when you get states saying that uh, they're going to reopen, yeah, I mean... If you don't have a hotspot and, and there's little to no activity of COVID-19, then yeah, reopen. And I, I know that earlier today, the University of Iowa, the president announced that he thinks pretty soon that sports uh, athletics are going to get back to working out at the university and that they will be open in the fall. 
I know that um, Oregon announced, uh, Oregon University announced that the other day. Texas A&M announced it earlier today. So I think for college football's sake, if they can test and schools are going to take place where kids are going to be on campus, then yeah, we certainly could have football in the fall, which will be fantastic. And the same goes for the NFL. I think the NFL has the money and they'll figure out a way to get it done. Um, so I'm, I'm not too worried about that right now. And especially, Will, if we get other sports going before we get to the fall, I think that there's no question we'll have football. You know what I'm saying? Like, like yeah. if we get, yeah. you know, do you see that uh, NASCAR announced today? They're going to go back to racing, what, May yeah. 9th or something? So, I did hear that, yeah. So, like, we're, we're, like, two weeks away from, like, actual real sports coming back. And I know golf is set to start, what, the first week of June again? So... Slowly but surely, I, I think we'll get there. Um, but again, it, it goes back to the science and the testing. And like, if, if Fauci says it's cool, then I'm all for it. Like that, that's the way I, I go. I don't, I don't want to hear hot takers talk about it. I don't want to hear people give me opinions on it. Just let me know what Fauci says. If Fauci says, yeah, this is the, the plan that you should use to implement this, then let's do it. Right. Yeah, hopefully they can just get back on schedule across the board and there's no breakouts or anything that happens. You know, I, I don't know what they would do if that were to happen. I'm really curious from like the media perspective, the media side of things. I've gotten really interested in that on my own over the last few years, just since college in general. And, you know, I do writing on the side and things like that. But I'm curious from, you know, working on in, in radio on ESPN 1000, the production side of things to hosting your own shows with like Adam Abdallah. Yeah. Uh, what, what's your kind of average day like? So like if for, I know you were out today, right? So if, let's say tomorrow, what, what, what's your average day, I guess, kind of start to start to the end of the day as far as getting in. And I know you have your, you, you guys reference production meetings. You guys are awesome as far as showing in on social media, kind of what things look like. So I'm just kind of curious how your days kind of get going. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, and you know, what's funny is like, so I'm off today and tomorrow because my wife and I, planned a trip like it imagine the uh, like listen people are having real issues in this world so please don't uh feel bad for us oh no yeah but um i think we planned this trip like march 5th so like a week before sports was canceled because what sports kind of all stopped on what march 11th I think it was, yeah, yeah. it was like right around there, that yeah. Wednesday to Thursday, um, where everything yep. kind of came to a halt. Um, thanks to, yeah. thanks to Rudy Gobert and, uh, his positive. Right. Test. Um, so, so like a week before then we planned a trip to, uh, Charleston and, uh, mm. Charleston, South Carolina. And, uh, we were going to go to, um, we were going to stop in Georgia too. And so we, we were going to be, so I was going to be gone today, tomorrow, through the weekend and Monday. And, uh, we, we just all with work, we decided that, um, even though we can't go on the trips that people should still take their requested days off type of thing, you know, because we've all been kind of working through this and trying to figure it out. And, you know, whenever life goes back to normal, it's not like we're going to get the time back, you know? So I'm off today. I'm off tomorrow. I'm just kind of hanging out. Um, it'd be nice to be in South Carolina and, you know, seeing some sights. But, okay, so so my day is – I get in at around 6.50-ish 
I kind of come in at the same time every day and I've been walking to work ever since uh, the coronavirus started. I used to take uh, the bus and the CTA bus, but the moment, like the week before everything started to get canceled, I kind of was reading enough stuff that like the more people you were around, the more at risk you are. So I stopped taking public transportation like a full week before things, before it really hit the fan. Um, so it takes me about door to door, 30 minutes to walk to work. So I, so I basically get in at the same exact time every day. Cause I don't have any traffic. I just have to walk there. Um, which was fun yesterday. Cause it poured the entire day. It's like today here. Yeah. So I was basically wet for the entire day. I, I get in, Danny and I are usually, uh, Danny gets in before me, he gets in at like six 30 and Danny Zetterman, he produces the show with me and we get in. Uh, before seven and basically like he and I then spend the next hour just reading things on our own, finding pieces of audio that could complement topics, brainstorming ideas, kind of talk about guests. Danny will book guests the day before. If not, that's when he and I will kick around some ideas on, on who he books. Uh, He's the one who books the show. And then around eight, uh, that's when we kind of meet and what you're talking about is our pre-show meeting. Uh, Cap usually gets in between 7.30 and 8-ish. We kind of, uh, I'm, I don't have a problem saying that because we make fun of him on the show for it. Yeah, um, I know. Yeah. He, he's always, uh, and he's great, he, but he is, uh, he is certainly one who, who wants to tell you uh, what time he woke up, the workout he got, and all this other stuff. Uh, meanwhile, Danny and I just, we just kind of like to grind through, through the day. And, uh, if you ask, we'll let you know, but otherwise, uh, we're just going to kind of go about our business type of deal. Uh, so at eight, we meet, we kind of throw out there, like, what's the top story of the day? Who are the guests that are booked? Is there anything else that we should kind of know about? And, you know, Danny and I are both very big on, and I'm, I'm certainly this way is, uh, like, I don't need to know your take. Like the one, the one thing in this business is like, for what we do, we should all have opinions on everything, but like, I don't need to know what your opinion is ahead of time because I don't need to like script what I'm going to say. So, you know, it's, it's weird. Like some people want to know like your full thoughts on something before you even do the show. And I'm of the style that like, I'm a professional, you're a professional. I understand you're going to prepare yourself. So when we get on the air, I'll hear your thoughts. I don't need to know your full take on Aaron Rodgers being disgruntled that the Packers drafted Jordan Love with their first round pick before the show. Just tell me on the show. And if we agree on the show, then we agree. If we disagree, we'll disagree. I don't need to have a scripted argument, you know, and well, you listen to a lot of my shows with Adam Abdallah or uh, with Jonathan Hood. And that's how, that's how Hood and Abdallah and I, that's how we all are. You know, We assume that we're going to prepare. And when we get on the air, we're going to talk it out and we're going to figure it out. And like, that's kind of what we do before a cap show starts at nine o'clock. And then from nine to noon, I'm working that show. From noon to two, Carmen and Yurko come into the studio and I stay on for that show um, as like an overlap. 
and I run their sound for that show as well. And then at like two fifteen is when I leave for the day. Um, so like during the shows, I'm doing like fifteen different things as the show is actively going on. I'm cutting uh, sound that could be used for segments. I'm podcasting the the episodes of the show. I'm cutting audio for our promo guy. I'm researching topics. I'm, you know, interacting with uh, you guys on Twitter or the Twitch page. You know, like there's there's a whole bunch of little things that kind of are multitasking items that go into um, because I'm also the one that runs the audio board. And if uh, for those who are like really into like the um, behind the scenes in radio. So like I'm the one that's board hopping the show during the shows. So like. I'm doing something like each commercial break. I have focus on something specific where like when we get into the segment, unless caps directly talking to me, I'm focused on doing like all these other little tasks that have to be done, but um, they may not be the most important item of the show actually taking place. So that that's kind of what goes on throughout my day. And then if we're filling in for Jonathan hood at night or, if it's a Friday where Abdal and I host on Friday nights, uh, I get home at like 2.30, 2.45-ish. I used to go to the gym back when gyms were open, and then I would come back. I would write some notes and then uh, get ready for the show and like kind of head back to work at about 5 o'clock, and then the show starts at 7, and then we go 7 to 9, and then that would be like my typical Friday. I kind of feel like, you know, when, when you host your own show, you have to have your own thoughts ready to go. So like when I'm hosting a show on Friday, if I'm filling in for someone, or if I'm hosting on Sunday morning when our show airs, like I like to know where, where I'm going. So like I outline what we're going to do each segment. I don't script what we're going to do, but we have a loose outline. And I just want to know for my own reference point, like I make like a topic sheet and I list off every possible topic that I have an opinion on that we could do for a segment. So like, I'll just have a whole bunch of things listed off. And like, if we don't get to them, we don't get to them. If we do, it's something that we can then uh, just slot in. And I know that between Adam and me, we, we can give a good eight to 12 minutes of conversation. And, and hopefully it's interesting. I put a lot of time into that stuff, into prepping before I even get into the station if I'm hosting. So like, that's something that like I constantly do. I constantly email myself um, topic ideas and I constantly forward myself either emails that we get from ESPN Bristol that are related to something that I want to talk about or things that I see throughout the week. Like, for example, did you see this story today about Jameis Winston and Jameis Winston talking, raving about his eyesight after his LASIK surgery? So I don't think I saw that. Today. So there's a story in the New York Daily News about how Jameis Winston had LASIK eyesight surgery, and now he like can see street signs, and now he can see all this different stuff. 
So, like, I think that's kind of interesting, and that could be used to get into a topic of the Saints being a smart team sure. by going and signing him for the contract they did because what if his eyesight was a part of the reason to why he threw 30 interceptions last year, right? So, like, exactly. so like yep. I know that one little nugget, that one little story is something Abdallah and I can talk about for 10 minutes. So I email, I forwarded myself that, e- that story, and like at some point, probably in the next, uh, over the weekend, we'll probably use that for a topic. Um, but I just kind of constantly do that. So at some point before a show, I sit down and make a list of all those emails, just so I know, like, here's the stuff that we kind of have heading into today. And like, if you're prepared, then like, whatever happens after you get started, you can kind of tackle because it doesn't matter because you were already prepared. Like then we, then you can be flexible. I, I never want to be in a position where I'm not prepared for a show. And then you're always like swimming upstream, trying to like catch up. That's not a feeling I enjoy. So I like to be over-prepared. And then if we change or if we never get to it, we just never get to it and, and we're ready to go. That, that answered a lot of what I was kind of curious and thinking about, too. Like, for instance, I, know, I mean, you guys are pros, so I just do this sort of stuff on the, on the side for fun. It's interesting to me. It's, I like kind of do, getting into this stuff a little bit. And, you know, I, I can't even imagine half the, uh, you mentioned cutting audio. Like, I barely can do that on my own as far as just learning GarageBand or whatever I have, iMovie, GarageBand, kind of getting more into it as I go. It's funny. When I was in college, uh, I was in college between uh, 2004 and 2007. So it's quite some time ago, right? So like I learned on Pro Tools, which is like kind of a, a very elevated high level editing software that like you see people in Hollywood who are record producers using, you know, like whenever you see like in documentaries where they show the artist sitting in that studio with the board and there's like a thousand yeah. different channels and then they got the the monitor, like that's Pro Tools. So like that's what I learned in college. And but like the one the one thing I used to teach classes at the Illinois Media School. And the one thing I would always tell students is that once you learn one form of editing, it, it's all relatively the same. You just have to learn the different buttons and like the different shortcuts again. You know what I'm saying? Like the actual technique of editing is basically the same for all pieces of software. So like Adobe Audition, Pro Tools, there used to be a program called like Sony Vegas, which was something that um, was kind of like Adobe Audition, GarageBand's an option. But like, it, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, once you kind of learn it, and I've been doing, I've, I've been editing, sound editing since, you know, 2004, so like, once you start to do it, you kind of never lose that habit. And then the more you do it, you know, you learn the shortcuts. So then something that maybe is more complicated is a little bit easier because I just know how quickly to do it. And then the other thing is like, for what we do, like the, the editing we do is not very complicated. You know, we're, you know, I'm, I'm like editing out commercial breaks. So it could be, uh, a podcast that we post that has no commercials in it because we don't need to air the commercials on our podcast. You know what I'm saying? Like, or clipping something, you know, that someone said, you're basically just finding an in cue and out cue. And then if they're, if they misspeak or something, you can kind of clean it up a little by taking something out. 
but we're not really, you know, I'm not making a piece of production with like 18 different tracks that I have to organize. And you know what I'm saying? Like, like it's, it's pretty low level of difficulty. The editing we do day to day, it's just, there's a lot of it. So, you know what I'm saying? Like it's just, you just go through the process of doing it so often and so frequently that it becomes second nature. I've gotten used to editing, but, uh, I realized like I'm, I, I feel like I'm a perfectionist, so I, I obsess over the stupidest little like noise that I can't get out. But then I listen to it later, and I'm like, okay, you can barely even hear it, so it's not that big of a deal. But I think it's a good idea to think about, like, okay, I don't have to get too bogged down. I can just get the, the overall episode to be good. It's going to sound right. It's going to sound good and not obsess over every little tiny thing that I, I try to take out or fix up or, you know. Oh, yeah, like you know, and it, it's totally – like that applies for like show prep too, right? Like, you know, cause I, I remember when I would do like projects in college that were like high level editing projects, like I would do the same thing. I mean, hell I had pro tools. I bought pro tools on my own. So then I could have it in my dorm room. And like, that's what I did in college is I, I was that guy. Like I was, I was not like the coolest dude ever. Like what, like I sat in my dorm room and edited audio. And then I would like pimp out my services to underclassmen who would pay $50 an hour to edit their projects. Like, like I I was trying to hustle in college that way, but I also loved it. And I knew Will that I wanted to do it. So I looked at it as even if I get in trouble for, cause you know, it's technically doing someone else's work, right? Like that's, that's what I'm, Mm -hmm. I was doing. I always looked at it as, well, I'm going to be doing this at some point anyway. So even if I get in trouble for doing it, I'm, I'm getting more hours practicing a skill set, you know? So like when, when you sit there and you try and get it perfect, that is 100% what, when you get a job in radio, what it turns into is because you only have a limited amount of time before something has to be on the air, whether it be a piece of audio or whether you speaking on the air has to take place. Like when my show tomorrow night, Friday night at seven o'clock uh, starts, it starts at seven o'clock. So like, like no matter how much time is in a day, no matter what takes place, I have to be on there at seven o'clock, not seven Oh five, not seven thirty. not, well, we'll, we'll do, we'll work some more and we'll come back to you. You know, like that doesn't work. So in radio, you get, you, you, you figure out pretty quickly the balance between how can I do something to the best of my ability and the amount of time that I have available to do it. And I always feel like that's, that's a key uh, to show prep is that, you know, there's only so there's only X amount of time until you hit the air, but like, how do you maximize your work-life balance and in your prep work to make sure that when you get to that point, you're, you're ready to go. And it's never going to be perfect. And not every show is perfect. And the brilliance about radio is much like uh, it's a baseball season. It's a grind. So like luck, luckily many of us who, who are working in, in the industry, you get another chance to go at it. Right. So like you may have, a, I may have a bad show. I may mess things up. I may get something completely wrong. My take might be completely crappy. I don't know. That all could be true. And it is very true. That happens. But the the cool thing about radio is that it's not 16 games like an NFL season and then that's it. And then we're going to critique 
this one radio show. It's like, well, tomorrow I have another two hour show or in two days, I'm going to have a three hour show. And how am I going to get better for that moment? How am I going to be different for that moment? How can I be, uh, how can I do something that no one else is doing in that moment? And I think that's, what's a, a cool challenging part about radio that's different than say, uh, working in TV or working in a, you know, in the film industry or working at something where you can kind of prep something to then release it. And then you get feedback on it. And then you kind of have to wait to then do that again. Radio, you kind of instantly have to get right back at it, whether it be producing a show like Cap Show every day or hosting my own show, you know? So, so the work-life yeah. balance and like figuring out how much time you have to dedicate to something to be the best of your ability is is something you kind of get in the flow of. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, I will say too, and I, I've added you this on Twitter before, but I've noticed, like I know that you're multitasking and like you mentioned before, doing 15 different things. And I always, I always sense that you always, you, you always come off as cool and calm. You don't get rattled by something, it seems. Uh, even if something isn't going perfectly and you're still able to interact with all of us crazy people on Twitter, <laughs> and whatever it is. And I can only imagine, I, I, I can only imagine like what you guys think half the time, but you always put up with us and do your jobs, you know, to the best of your ability every day. So I think it's awesome that you guys take the time to even engage with, you know, your following as much as you can, really. You always come off across as unflappable, basically. It's like, like you mentioned, you do your grind, you grind through it every well, day. Well, thank you. And and listen, I think that it means a lot that you guys all listen and you will, you listen all the time and... I, I think a part of what we do, like just acknowledging that you guys take the time to listen to our work, I think is cool. And yeah, listen, I, I think a lot of it goes back to what I was talking about. Um, if you're prepared, then when something goes wrong, either you laugh at it or you try and go a different direction and you fix it. But like, I, I always like to think that like Abdallah and I have been doing shows together uh, since we were in college. We both went to Columbia College in Chicago, and we actually hosted a morning show together our junior and senior year of college. So like Abdallah and I have been hosting radio shows together since probably like 2006. And, I, and for those who, who are listening to the show, not only did we go to college together, we knew each other from high school. We went to the same high school. Uh, we weren't actually friends. I mean, we were friendly, uh, but like we, we <laughs> yeah, never hung yeah. out. We were just in two different crowds. His last name's Abdallah. Mine is Black. So we sat next to each other in like four different classes. But like, so we, we knew each other. And when he went to Columbia, we immediately started hanging out and became great friends. And we hosted shows together. So like, we've always gone about our business as if we take... Uh, the job at hand very seriously, but we don't take ourselves seriously. And I always find that like, those are the people that I relate to the most in the business. Like those are the people I want to be. Those are the people I want to be like. And I, I, I always enjoy listening to those people the most, the people who bust their ass trying to be the best that they can, but yet they don't take themselves um super seriously. And, and I think, you know, someone that I always think of when, when I think of that is Conan O'Brien, you know, mm. I grew up thinking his show 
The Late Show was Late Night with Conan O'Brien was the funniest show ever. But like, what are what are the the marquee gimmicks of his show? The marquee gimmick of his show is something ridiculous, and his reaction being like, "This is completely stupid. I can't believe we are doing this. What a train wreck!" Right? And like that to me has always yep. been funny because like he knows it's dumb, but he he's not like trying to fake something. You know, he's not trying to sell you something. Like he's some like super serious comedian. Like it, it's all a joke. It's all, it's all fun. You know, and especially with us, we work in sports talk radio. So like, I don't care if someone disagrees with my point or my take, like, okay, go ahead. That's the point of all of this. I think some people, especially in this day and age, they only want to deal in an echo chamber and they only want like-minded um, thoughts to be, spoken back to them and i feel like that's where we lose a lot of the good sports debate and conversation where like i i honestly don't care if my take is different than everyone else's i'm just going to go with what i think and what i feel and and i think it, it goes back to the whole thing is like we don't take ourselves too seriously so i i really appreciate that you guys always listen and that you guys interact with us and i think that's why abdallah and i try to make it known that we see and acknowledge you guys and we want to interact with everyone because we don't take ourselves too seriously. It's fun. We hope you guys are having fun and hopefully it's like a whole network of all of us kind of just getting through the day together, you know? And like, and and that's, that's what it's all about. So uh, I appreciate you saying that, but um, that's kind of my perspective on it is that like, we work really hard at what we do, but like it, we're not, we're not solving cancer. We're not fighting the battle of COVID-19. You know, we're talking sports, you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's so trivial oh, yeah. in, in the grand yeah. scheme of things. So you might as well have fun. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys definitely reflect that. And yeah, just the, all the personalities, you guys all go, whether you agree, disagree, it's, it's just great. I love the banter. And like you mentioned, just going through my work day, it's, it's, I can just turn you guys on the radio and just listen. And it's, it's like my morning. It goes by fast. It's awesome. So what would you say is the best moment of your career so far? And who's kind of like a, what's, what's a bucket list moment or person, I guess, that you would like to interview hmm. if you could? Now, Will, see, this is dangerous. You are setting, up, setting me up a very good question here, sir. <laughs> you know, l- let's though. see. Um, let me try and answer your first question first. Uh, big moment in my career. You know, I think what's been pretty cool the last couple of years is like when you get to go cover events for the station is always really cool. So like I've gone to a couple final fours now. Uh, notably last year at the Final Four in Minneapolis, they sent Abdallah and I to go do shows, which was pretty cool. Um, but I've also gone as a producer, which was equally as cool. So like stuff like that is pretty sweet because you get to go, you get to cover the event, which is, you know, a lot of people get into this business to go cover live events. And like, even though I don't get to do it every day, that is something that I, I find interesting and I enjoy doing. I, I think the other thing that I would answer is like getting to do the NBA draft show um, 
for the last few years. I, I think we've done four or five of them now. Uh, Jonathan Hood and myself. We've had a couple other people join us throughout the years, like Nick Ferdell. I think one year Chuck Swirsky hosted with us as well. Uh, I, it's it's cool. It's a cool thing for me because there's no sport I enjoy more than the NBA, and I really enjoy getting to go to the Advocate Center where the draft is taking place to do the show, to do all the the prep work. Like it's a lot of work to be uh, ready to talk about you know forty plus people entering the NBA. And then also knowing what all the teams need, what they're kind of set up to do in the future, how their season went the year before. There's a lot of prep work that Hood and I do before the NBA draft. And it's kind of one of those events that I look forward to every year. And I was actually just thinking about it uh, yesterday that we're not going to have that this year. Like even when they figure out when the draft's going to be, if they do it, it'll probably be the virtual style, right? And it will probably be yep. everyone stay home. Don't come to this one place and do it. Um, so events like that, I always think are pretty cool because I really do. Like all I do is watch the NBA and it's all I've done since I was in grade school, you know, either watching games, playing NBA video games, the trading cards, uh, playing in the backyard, pretending to be NBA players on the basketball hoop outside like it's it's all I really have done, and so like to be able to do shows like that and kind of put all of that into a one night show has always been a lot of fun uh, for me. So like I don't know if that necessarily answers the question, but when I look back at like things I really enjoy doing, like those things are certainly some of the things. Like it is cool to go into the studio every day, but um, it's equally, uh, if not, it's more important when you get to like go out and then represent the station, and then do a good show off of that. Um, your second question, who would I want as like a bucket list interview? Huh. Yeah. See, that's it, it's tough for me because I don't – okay, so let, let me ask you this. Is it strange? Am I the weird one that like I don't really put people on a pedestal where like I'm not really that – impressed to say like oh i've got it if i interviewed michael jordan that would be my bucket list it'd be like all right like i i get why people would say that but to me like he's not he's never going to say anything better than what he's doing in this documentary so in my thought my head would be like that's a wasted interview you know what i'm saying like he, he's not going to give you anything yeah, new that's interesting. um i would probably go with like someone who's in like entertainment who like like that's a tough question. I did have Carmen Electra on uh, Waddle and Sunday. Yeah, I earlier, saw that. So I, that'd be, you know, that'd be like, like, yeah. for, like my honest answer is I would say something like it obviously can't happen. But like if you could go back back in the day and interview someone like Johnny Carson, I think that would be the coolest thing in the world. Uh, like old school Hollywood really interests me. So like maybe someone like Judd Apatow. I've read his book and Apatow's um his rise to fame was like straight grinding. Like he did, he didn't become famous until way into his career. And like the way he networked to get to the point where he is, like he is someone I would want to interview because he seems like someone you could ask questions like you're asking me and he would give like honest, real answers. 
And like, that's the type of person I would want to interview. Like, I don't really care about interviewing the most famous person. I would want to interview someone who I think is interesting. You know? Yeah. I, I also read a while back. Um, do you know who um, Brian Grazer is? Oh, he, I feel like I've heard the he's name. Got, right? He's got, he's the uh, Hollywood producer who has like the crazy wacky hair. He makes all the movies with Ron Howard. He's like a little okay, short okay. guy. He, he has a book called uh, A Curious Mind. And the book is about how he basically sets up interviews to, to have oh, yeah. like okay, lunch yeah. dates with people who he knows nothing about their craft, their, their profession, why they become successful. And like someone like that, I think is super interesting because he's very famous and very, you know, he's very good at what he does. But like a part of the reason why he's so successful is because of his networking ability. So like I would find it interesting to talk to someone like that because like I would want to know like what gave him the idea? Why did he decide like I'm going to go and have all these different experiences with people? And like basically the point of his book is when you do that, you then open yourself up to all these different avenues where people can help you type of thing. Um, so like, I, I find stuff like that to be interesting. Um, so I don't know. I feel like I'm giving you terrible answers for this question, but no, I love that. I love that. It's so different than what I would have maybe yeah, expected. But like, I don't, I don't, I, care. Really I don't care about yeah. athletes. Like you're all the same. You all have Instagram pages now. Y'all do your little highlights. Like, yeah. I don't care. Like who's, who's actually interesting yeah. in the sports world. I don't, I mean, listen, it, it's, yeah. and like, I feel like I, I always want to learn something. So I want to talk to someone where like I can get something out of them where I can, you know, learn like Conan O'Brien would be probably a good, good answer. Cause I, I feel like he's the type of celebrity who also made himself. So he, he may have perspective on like what it's like to be creative and to try and be creative each and every day in a different way. You know what I mean? Like, you know, hosting a late night show, that's a grind like that, that grind, like Jimmy Kimmel would be a good answer too. I think Jimmy Kimmel is incredible. The fact that Jimmy Kimmel went from being an FM radio DJ to being the guy who's the face of ABC television is incredible. You know, like it, it, it's just insane. And the fact that like back in the day he was on comedy central's, uh, win Ben Stein's money, like, you know, like it's just insane to me. Yeah, and you know, it's funny because I, when you said uh, initially, you know, it's like, it's kind of, it felt like a humble kind of answer because it's like, it'd be easy to say like, oh yeah, Michael Jordan, like then I could tell everybody that I talked to Michael yeah, right. Jordan, but like, you're like, yeah, being, you know, a big deal. But yeah, I thought that was a really interesting answer. And you know, just real fast, uh, I remember like when I would talk, when I was interviewing people that I didn't think I'd be able to talk to and start talking and it's just like conversation. It's like, okay, they, they're kind of famous in their field or whatever, but it's like in that moment, it's like, it's just another human being that I'm oh, talking yeah. with. So it's, it's, you know, based on my uh, wide ranging rambling answer, I, I think you can tell obviously what influences me, right? Like, like even though I do sports talk radio, uh, like I really uh, pay a lot of attention to comedy and to comedians and the way the process of coming up as a comedian I think is a lot like uh trying to cut it in radio because you really the feedback from the audience is there but like you also don't really ever know if you're doing it right or doing it well you know what I'm saying like you can go on stage as a stand-up I've never done stand-up but I've read enough books about it that like it is really you against the world in that situation 
And like the feedback from the audience kind of lets you know, but you always have that self-doubt. And the same thing goes into being on the radio and having to talk for three hours straight. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I feel like there's a lot of similar aspects to that, to hosting a late night television show, to working in comedy, all that stuff kind of connects the dots. So yeah, it's it's really interesting hearing that kind of answer, and uh, that was really awesome. And the last, very last thing I just remembered I wanted yeah, to ask you was, I'm just curious. So, so when you're you're you know at the station all day, or, or you know most of your day, so and you mentioned you know you listen to shows, you listen to things for your potential shows, you know going forward. So I was curious when you're not at work, uh, are you listening to ESPN 1000 kind of throughout the day, or at least catching the pods as much as possible to kind of I guess stay on top of what everybody else might be referring to, or I'm, I was just kind of curious how you guys manage that because I mean. You have your own free time. You want to do other things too, but you're probably listening quite a bit as well. Right? Yeah, you know, it, it's funny. Uh, I would, I would probably suggest that of the people at the station who listen to the station the most, I would probably be in the category of people who who uh, listen the most to the station when we're not there. Um, you know. Ever since the AirPod came out, uh, like I basically put my AirPods in and when I'm at home and they're in my ears like the entire time I'm at home. And so like I'm either listening to our station. Um, I listen to the herd at least. I, I want to hear his opening segment, if not a couple of segments, because um, Cowherd, you know, whether or not you agree or disagree with his um, topics or his opinions, He's the best at hosting a solo radio show going right now. No one is better at setting up a topic, giving his opinion, giving the counter opinion, and then giving something you didn't think about to then close his, his topic like Cowherd. He, he's, the, he's been the best at it for a long time. But so like I always try and listen to him. I catch Tony Kornheiser's podcast quite a bit. I, I grew up listening to Kornheiser. I, he was one of the first people I listened to when I first really decided like, oh yeah, I want to work in sports talk radio. Um, so I still listen to him. Um, I listen to Simmons. I listen to Rosillo on the ringer. Um, I've always thought that Rosillo solo was just as good as Cowherd. So I like to hear when he has thoughts on things, the way he kind of sets up his topics, the way he kind of talks about things and the way he kind of goes about it his outline. I like that. Um, and Simmons, you know, I've always thought that I don't agree with his, his thoughts all the time, but I like the way that he looks at sports. And so like, it, it's not like hard hitting, uh, hot takes, but it's, it's, it seems like the type of person and the type of people he talks to are the people that I would want to talk to about sports. So like I consume all of that, but then I'm also simultaneously, listening to our station all the time. Like I listen to a good amount of Waddle and Sylvie in the afternoon when I'm home. Uh, I listen to Jonathan Hood at night a lot. I listen to his show all the time. I produced his show for almost five and a half years uh, before I, I moved to middays. Um, so like I know Jonathan on the air probably better than anyone else at the station just because I worked so closely with him as his producer for so long. So, like, I actively still listen to that show because I feel an attachment to it, um, even though it's been years since I worked on that show. And I would say the one thing about, like, listening, like, if I'm going to host at night, like, say we're in for Jonathan Hood or it's a Friday, 
I actively try to not listen to Waddle and Sylvie just because I don't want to listen to the station the entire day and then have to go on the air. And then, you know, like I, I just need like a refresher, but like today, Oh yeah. Today I'm, I'm not working tonight. So today I was listening to Waddle and Sylvie before you called me, you know what I'm saying? So like, when when I when yeah. I'm not hosting at night, I I actively listen to them all the time. It, it's just one of those things. Like I try to get my mind away from the the station, and oh yeah, I I I feel like if I think about something else, I usually come up with a unique topic that is on point to what we're gonna do. You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes you need that like palate yeah. cleanser. And so if I know I have to talk about it at night, I want to like get a little break. So I, I listen to all this stuff. I'm always listening to audio and it's kind of what I do. Like on the weekends, like on Saturday morning, like I wake up, I take the dog outside and I put the AirPods in, we go for a walk and I'm listening to different radio stations. I listen to stations in San Francisco or LA or, you know, whatever, just because I, I think sampling different styles helps kind of improve your own style. You know, you kind of find out what other people are doing, what they're doing poorly, what they're doing well, and you kind of mix it all into your own thing, you know? The other thing I try to do before I host, especially on like um, a weekday, is that they always say like uh, with like static, uh, how you have to like neutralize the static. So like you have to ground yourself. Have you ever heard of that? So, yeah. so I always feel like PTI on ESPN television is always like the grounding point. You know, like if, if I consume PTI and like I hear Tony and Wilbon go back and forth about something, like I always feel like grounded then heading into the night. Does that make sense? That might be the most ridiculous thing ever yeah. said. Um, but like I feel like they always, they always paint – the picture with both sides of the argument and and it's not like forced so like i always feel like if i saw pti and i know what the top stories are all right i kind of know what like everyone's kind of talking about you know what i'm saying like nothing is gonna really get like slipped through the cracks if that's like what i've seen before i i go back to work like you don't have to consume everything but if you consume that then you're like okay i kind of know what's going on I kind of know what's going to take place uh, for the next like 24 hour news cycle type of thing. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, this was awesome. Just to kind of pick your brain and talk. It was awesome. Uh, I've taken up enough of your time, so I really appreciate it. And uh, you're off. No, so I'm not going to work in the morning, but I'll be on the show uh, tomorrow night, seven to nine uh, on ESPN 1000. And then I'm also working Sunday morning, eight to 10 a.m on ESPN 1000. Yeah, cool. awesome. Well, you know, I'll be listening and, uh, yeah, no again, problem. Well, thank so you. Appreciate it. And, and always, uh, like I said before, it means a lot to us that, that you listen specifically and then everyone else that listens as well. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun. So thank you. We appreciate it.